Today's scripture reading is taken from Romans, chapter 14, verse 13, to chapter 15, verse 7. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person it is unclean. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy someone for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what you know is good to be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves, but whoever, excuse me, But whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat, because their eating is not from faith. And everything that does not come from faith is sin. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you. Have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. If we just like to, uh, <clears throat> if we just like to have a moment silence, and we'll just pray for Pastor Robin, our birthday boy. <laughs> Special blessings on your birthday. (laughs) So, Lord, we thank you for Pastor Robin. We thank you for his diligence, Lord, in preparing this word today. And we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would speak through him, Lord, your truth, Lord, your your righteousness, Lord. And let your light, Lord, penetrate our hearts and minds and spirits this day so that we may hear your word, that we may believe it, and that we may act upon it. In your name we pray. Amen.
I generally don't make a big thing about birthdays. So it's like, <laughs> no, yeah, exactly. I've I've already had enough. So anyway, <laughs> thank you. I appreciate that. Um, most of the time, <laughs> take a look around you. Just kind of, it's okay. Don't look at me. Look around you. Okay. Turn turn your heads. Look at the people around you. Okay. We really are a mixed bag, aren't we? Um, we were talking with our, we had some guests this week and we were talking about that with them about um, their experience. They're, they live in uh, Bishkek in Kyrgyzstan and the international congregation there. But they're a Mennonite couple from um, uh, Manitoba in, in Canada. And so their home church is basically, you know, everybody's pretty much the same. And, uh, but that's not the case in, in our context, is it? We're all very different. One of the great wonders of the gospel is that Jesus brings together people who really have very little in common. And he builds them into a community called the church. Now, I grew up on a council housing estate in Scotland. Um, and uh, I didn't become a believer until I was like 17. And uh, that was the first time I spent any time with middle-class people. You know, I came from a poor working-class background. Um, and uh, because then I started attending church and all these people who were different from me were there because the, the church cuts across class boundaries cuts across ethnic boundaries. It cuts across all kinds of boundaries. Leslie Newbigin calls the church the hermeneutic of the gospel and the sign of the kingdom. That means that it's the church, the body of believers sharing their lives together, that lets people see what the gospel is about. Okay, It's not just a message. It's something that has to be lived out. Now, I was originally going to speak on just the first seven verses of chapter 15. Um, as it worked out, as I, so as I worked on it rather, um, I realized that I had to go back further. That you know, I couldn't preach on accepting one another without the larger context. And I originally sent the list, the 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 the, the reading to um, Sumba was like chapter fourteen, verse one to chapter fifteen, verse seven, but it wouldn't all fit Bolton. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> so I'll be covering a lot of text today, but. Um, as I mentioned uh, a few weeks ago, most of the New Testament letters are structured about the same way. You know, they have four main sections. You have a, a greeting at the beginning that usually includes a blessing or a prayer for the recipient. They often end with the, tra the writer's travel plans, some personal notes to various people, and a doxology. And in the middle are two main sections. The first section, main section in the letters is um, usually theological. It's about um, what we should believe. And the second is ethical. It's about how we should live. In Romans, that second section starts at chapter 12, where Paul begins to answer the question, so what? Um, uh, I remember a preaching professor saying that preaching is about three things. What, so what, and now what? <laughs> 
which actually isn't, isn't a bad way to think about preaching. <laughs> so at verse, um, you know, chapter 12, Paul starts to answer the question, so what? Okay, Jesus is the son of God and died for our sins. What difference does that make to my life and to the way I live? And surprisingly, at least from an individualistic Western perspective, um, he doesn't talk about personal holiness as much as we might expect, at least not the way it's normally thought about by Christians today. Paul's primary concern is not with what we do or don't do, but very much with, what, with how we treat one another. And that's what the bulk of chapters 12 through 15 are about. He's given instructions for living together in the community of faith. Actually, if you look at the teaching sessions, sections in the New Testament letters, the second, those sections in New Testament letters, that's something that dominates a lot of it. As I said when I started this series, there are over 40 places in the New Testament where the phrase one another appears. It's one word in, in, in Greek, alelon. And those, that word appears, and then there's a command about how we're supposed to treat one another. And as you might expect, almost all of those are in that second section of the letters in the New Testament. So a large percentage of the ethical teaching of the New Testament is directed to believers with instructions with how they should behave within the church towards one another. So the, the, the thrust isn't so much about individuals' things, but what it means to be called the community of the people of God. Okay? Now, I always find it interesting when people say, well, our church is a New Testament church. That's usually interpreted to mean that other, ch other churches aren't as biblical as our churches. We're a New Testament church. What's funny about that is that from reading the letters of the New Testament, you quickly come to, to the conclusion that the New, churches, New Testament churches were anything but perfect, right? Because the New Testament letters are what's called occasional literature. That means they were written to very specific people on specific issues at specific times. In fact, the main reason that we have the letters in the New Testament is because Paul and others were trying to deal with problems in the New Testament churches. That's why we have the letters, because they had problems, right? Um, and one of the biggest problems that, that came up was factionalism. One, thing, one group in the church thinks we should be doing one thing, another thinks we, we should be doing something else. There are those who have a vision for doing one way of doing things, and those who think that way is wrong, if not sin. There's an issue of the National Geographic, which includes a photograph of two fossil of the fossil remains of two saber-toothed cats locked in combat, and the the, the article about the the, the the fossil says this: it says, one had bitten deep into the leg bone of the other, a thrust that trapped both in a common fate. The cause of the two cats is clear. So the cats have been fighting and they got, one had bitten so hard into the other's leg that they couldn't come apart and they eventually just died of starvation. Or as Paul put it in Galatians 5.15, if you keep biting and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. 
So this problem is addressed in every major letter in the New Testament. It's the reason why Paul wrote the Corinthian letters in the first place. And it's pretty central to the latter part of Romans too. So, you know, do you think that just maybe the New Testament church had a problem with factions? You know. In that case, most churches today would qualify as New Testament churches. <laughs> but it's hardly something to be proud of. It's more like a natural consequence of the fact that churches are made up of fallen human beings, right? Redeemed, but fallen, right? So we each have our own personal perspectives on things, and quite naturally, we assume that our perspective is the right one. If we didn't think that, we would change it, right? Some of us are better than others at seeing someone else's point of view, but as a wise man once said, every point of view is a view from a point. And no, one, no person escapes the human condition. Any absolute denial of personal prejudice, whether it's conscious or unconscious, is at best unpersuasive and at worst dishonest. We all have our biases. We all have our perspective, which we prefer over other people's perspectives. The good news is this is something the Bible talks about a lot. Martin Goldsmith, who was my preaching teacher at All Nations College in the UK, gave us all some good advice. He said, if someone asks you to preach on something, find a passage of scripture that addresses that issue and then do an exposition of the passage. If you can't find a passage that addresses that issue, then maybe you should be preaching on something else. So I've tried to stick by that principle. And this is one topic where it's not difficult to find a scriptural passage to open up. They're everywhere. Um, in Romans 14 and 15, Paul gives at least six ways that we can work at overcoming this tendency that's almost inherent in each one of us <clears throat> to lump people into groups. And instead of judging one another, to accept one another. And just to make things easier, um, the, uh, this message actually has six points, each beginning with a letter that um, spells the word accept. So here's, here's, here's the six points. Avoid passing judgment. Commit to live for the Lord alone. Control yourself in love. Edify everyone you can. Personal convictions are just that, personal. And treasure people as Jesus does. Now, I can't claim um, ownership of that outline. Somebody else came up with it, but it was just too good to pass up. So, so let's start a little with the reading from chapter 14, a little, bit, a little before the reading. Chapter 14, verse 1 uh, says, Accept the one whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. So the passage then goes on to deal with eating and drinking, and we kind of came into the middle of that a little bit. When Paul was writing this, he was probably thinking about Christians from a Jewish background who were struggling with eating non-kosher food. Because they, they'd been raised to believe that eating meat that wasn't prepared in the kosher way was sin. And so they chose to eat only vegetables. Probably when they were fellowshipping with other non-Jewish believers, they would just become vegetarians for the night. These are the ones that Paul describes as weak. Strong believers know that, as Jesus said, what goes into a person's mouth doesn't make them unclean, but rather what comes out of it. And Paul says, 
that this is a disputable matter. It's not central to the gospel. His point is that the one who feels free to do whatever shouldn't look down on the one who doesn't. Likewise, the one who has reservations about something shouldn't condemn the one who doesn't share those reservations or call them less holy. I find it interesting that sometimes as foreigners, we can feel we can pick and choose which rules we're going to break and which we're going to keep. Um, when we lived in Afghanistan, it was illegal, it was against the law to import and consume alcohol or pork products. Some people abided by those rules, others didn't. Um, I know that some who kept the rules did so, so that when an Afghan asked them if they ate pork, they could honestly say no. It was one less barrier to the gospel. It's perfectly legal for us to worship in, uh, as Christians in Turkey. And we also have the right to fair, share our faith, which is actually pretty unique in this part of this world, this part of the world, right? But since Protestants, unlike other streams of Christianity, don't have any specific protection under the Treaty of Lausanne, 1923, it can be awkward for us at times. Um, some people are very sensitive to that reality, others not so much. And so it can be a source of tension between, you know, particularly between foreigners in the country as we make our own decisions about how we live here and how we express our faith. People make dis different decisions in all kinds of things. In the 19th century England, two of the country's greatest preachers were Charles Spurgeon and Joseph Parker. And they were good friends until they had a disagreement. Spurgeon accused his friend of being unspiritual because he went to the theater. And Parker pointed out that Spurgeon was suspect because he loved to smoke cigars. Unfortunately, all that hit the newspapers and ended up discrediting the cause of Christ, right? And one of the great joys of our community is its cultural and theological diversity. It's also one of the great challenges. Some people are conservative in one, a one area, others are conservative in a different area. Their temptation is to judge each other on lifestyle issues. Paul's argument is that, is that we shouldn't try and take the place of God in each other's lives. He says, who are you to judge another servant? To their own master, they stand or fall. And they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. So avoid passing judgment and commit to live for the Lord alone. Now, our problems are often focused, uh, rooted in where we focus our attention. Uh, Paul tells us to avoid focusing on what others are doing and judging them for that. Instead, he says, focus on the Lord and commit, you commit to live for the Lord. Now, Samuel is back in Nigeria uh, for the winter because it gets too cold in Antalya for him. <laughs> I hope he's listening to the, he listens to the recording of this. Anyway, uh, so, um, so we miss him in the Wednesday Bible studies. I especially miss his regular reminders that we need to apply scripture to our own lives, not to the lives of our brothers and sisters. And he is faithful in reminding us of that as we study scripture together. Paul's, Paul's solution to every problem, every issue, is found in Christ. 
So he tells the Romans to stop looking at each other and judging each other, but instead to look to the Lord and to serve him. There's a, love, there's a lovely verse in here for those of us from individualistic uh, cultures. Verse 7. We do not live to ourselves and we do not die to ourselves. If we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. We are the Lord's servants. That's what he just said in verse 4. Each one of us. If we are his servants, then we live for him not for ourselves. Paul's point here is that we, our focus has to be on serving and pleasing the Lord and leave any judging to him. Um, I had a colleague who was in a dialogue about um, the theological differences. And uh, he came from a Mennonite background and somebody from a more Calvinist background was saying, well, you know, um, it seems that you don't believe in the judgment of God, you know, uh, because Mennonites have got much more inclusive view of things, perhaps. Um, so uh, he says, it seems that like you don't believe in the judgment of God. His response was, of course we believe in the judgment of God. That's why we don't have to judge. <laughs> Which is, I think, a really good insight. <laughs> He's a judge, we're not. Okay, so can we do whatever we want as long as we have a clear conscience about it? Just because it's just a, between me and Jesus. It doesn't matter what you know, others think as long as I'm not breaking my own rules, right? Well, not quite. Having established that we're free, Paul goes on to talk about how we should restrict our freedom for the sake of others. We have to control ourselves in love. Verse 13, therefore... Sorry, let us therefore no longer pass judgment on one another, but resolve instead never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of another. Martin Luther wrote, A Christian is a most free Lord of all, subject to none. A Christian is a most dutiful servant of all, subject to all. It's a wonderful tension there. We're free but we are called to willingly and humbly serve each other. Paul wanted the Gentile believers to make space for the Jewish believers, and he wanted the Jewish believers to make space for the Gentile believers. They didn't have to become like each other. That's not the point. That's not the goal. The goal was that both would become more like Jesus. And we need to make space for each other to do that. So the question that naturally grows out of this verse is, are there any stumbling blocks that I'm putting in the way of others? We make it easy on ourselves if we you know, talk about a stumbling block narrowly as a temptation to sin, which has been a tendency in churches. But the other word that Paul uses is hindrance. So it's not so much about making it easy for people to sin as it is about making it difficult for people to follow or even approach Jesus. That's what it's talking about. So it's worth asking yourselves from time to time, is there something that I'm doing or not doing that actually makes it more difficult for someone, anyone, to come closer to Jesus? So our, our colleagues in Afghanistan who you know, didn't buy black market pork, so they could honestly answer, no, I don't eat pork. 
that was this, removing an obstacle to people hearing the gospel. Remember what it said in verse 7, we do not live to ourselves. So, fourth point, Paul's fourth point is edify everyone you can. Verse 19, let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. So it takes effort. Okay? I'll say that again. It takes effort. It takes work. It takes effort to live in peace. It takes effort to build each other up in love. It doesn't just happen. Physical systems, like your car or your cell phone, always need the input of energy to keep them going. That's due to something called the second law of thermodynamics. Or as Paul Simon put it, everything put together sooner or later falls apart. Anybody who's had an old car knows that. Um, that's why it needs effort simply to maintain peace amongst us, never mind build each other up. And for some of us, it can be hard to find that energy, right? You know, cultural stress, other stressors in our life. It can be hard to find the energy to invest in our relationships with our brothers and sisters. But if we don't, as Paul Simon says, eventually they'll fall apart because it takes effort. Verse 22 says, whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. That's a great principle when you live in a, in a mixed community, right? Personal convictions are just that, personal. I often have to bite my tongue when someone says something that uh, I disagree with. Because as Marilyn will tell you, um, my natural response is often to argue about things. Um, for those, I don't know how many people have ever done the, the, the Gallup Strengths Finder stuff. Um, Maryland, one of Maryland's top five strengths is, is harmony. Which means she's a really good balance for me. And I've, as I mentioned before, she's been known to give me a good kick under the table um, to tell me when I'm getting carried away. But then, you know, maintaining relationships is worth the odd bruised shin or bitten tongue, okay? Maintaining relationships is off, is worth it. Now, I have a few friends who, when we get together, we end up sitting up to two or three in the morning, arguing about all kinds of things. I mean, that's almost the basis of our relationship, is arguing. Um, people who are like me will recognize that, and people who are not like me go, why would you do that? <laughs> um, but that's the exception to the rule. Um, generally, it's better not to get into heated debates. I also have to be careful because as a pastor, my opinion carries more weight with people. So I need to be careful to only teach what is the clear teaching of Scripture and leave some of my own theological convictions out of it. That's true for all of us, I think. In 1627, in the midst of the Thirty Years' War, which is a religious war that tore Europe apart, a little-known German theologian by the name of Rupertus Meldenius wrote, In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. And in all things, charity. I'll say that again. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. 
and in all things, charity. It's a good rule to live by. And I mentioned Maldenius by name because that quote is credited to any number of people from Augustine, which is highly unlikely knowing Augustine, um, to John Wesley, but it actually first appears in a tract by Maldenius. Um, I remember uh, reading Tim Keller on a topic of division within the church, and he talks about um, the, the danger of binding the conscience of another brother. That, you know, the church, that we don't have the right to do that. People have the right to make their own decisions in non-essentials, liberty. People have, there's a great deal of liberty in the church to, to disagree about things. It's not necessarily an issue of sin, okay? Finally, um, treasure people like Jesus does. How often does a, you, you have a discussion end with the words, well, please yourself. I'm going to whatever, right? Chapter 15, verse 2 says, each of us must please our neighbor for the good purpose of building up our neighbor. I don't think you could find another statement so opposed to basic human nature. <laughs> but rather than please ourselves, we are to do what is best for the other person. It's what Jesus does. And we need to learn to treasure people like Jesus does. He chose a way of sacrifice and death for us. There's nothing we could give up or put up with that in any way compares with Jesus' sacrifice for us. It's unlikely that any of us will be asked to give our lives for our brothers and sisters. It's very likely that we'll be asked to inconvenience ourselves for them. And it's certain that we'll be asked to accept them as they are because Jesus has accepted them. And that's what Paul says in verse 7. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you. Not because Christ accepted you. That's not what it says. It says, just as Christ accepted you. And how did Christ accept you? Same way he accepted me. With all my problems and strangeness, not to mention my sin. He drew, himself, drew me to himself, which is what the word means in Greek, to draw someone to yourself. And he's working on me, just like he is in all of us. And in the meantime, he calls us to accept one another just as he accepted us. To draw others into fellowship without judging or controlling or trying to make them conform. So this is what it looks like practically when we accept one another. We avoid passing judgment on others. We commit ourselves to live for the Lord alone. We control ourselves in love. We try to edify everyone we can. We remember that our personal convictions are just that, personal. And we treasure people as Jesus does. Let's pray, shall we? Lord, I thank you for this community that you have brought together. Lord, I thank you that it is only around your son, crucified and risen for us, that we have any basis for gathering this morning here. From all kinds of places in the world, from all kinds of backgrounds, with all kinds of 
ideas about how we should live, how the world works. So many cultural backgrounds, Lord. And I praise you that that is a foretaste of the end of Revelation with the nations coming into the kingdom. But Lord, recognize too that it's challenging for us sometimes as we have different ways of living, different ways of expressing our faith, different, different ways of bringing glory to you. So Lord, we pray for the grace to accept one another is just as you've accepted us to without judging or seeking to change people or make them conform but rather helping each one of us lord to become more like you and lord we want to lift up some concerns as well in the uh, uh in the community here lord we pray for Rosemary's mother. We thank you for the good news that she is beginning to recover, that uh, she seems to be through the, the worst of her, um, her infection. Lord, we pray that you would continue to strengthen her. Lord, we continue to pray for Selchuk and for his full recovery. Thank you that um, he is home and doing well. Lord, we thank you for yesterday, for Turkey's um, birthday. And we pray a blessing upon this land that we are so honored and blessed to live in. Lord, thank you for, for Turkey. Thank you for the freedoms that we have. Lord, thank you for this land. And we pray for those in leadership that they would know what makes for peace and justice in this land. And Lord, we pray for the difficulties around the world represented here also in the people in this congregation Lord, we pray for Ukraine and the war there. And realize uh, yesterday Russia decided they're going to stop the allowing grain shipments. And Lord, just pray that that decision would be turned around because so many people around the world are dependent upon that grain getting out. Lord, we pray for Iran and the ongoing protests there and the con continuing um, the shooting of young children in the protests um, and the arrest of children. Pray for, Lord, we, we um, applaud the, the courage of these young people and we pray for them and for their parents as I'm sure they worry about their kids. And we pray for Iran, Lord, and we pray for freedom to come there. Lord, pray for um, Somalia where like those, those bombings this weekend and 100 people are dead. Lord, we pray that you would restrain the hand that seeks to do evil. Pray for Seoul and Korea, Lord. More than 150 people killed in a crush after a party. Um, yeah. Lord Jesus, have mercy, we pray. And Lord, we pray for the Philippines as they are struggling under a a major storm and many people are dead and, and missing there too. Lord, we pray, have mercy. Let's say the Lord's Prayer together in whatever language you're comfortable in. Let's say it together as a community. <laughs>